The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is Father John Zulsdorf with another podcast. Welcome as our guest today, Dante Alighieri, who died in 1321. Today, with the help of Dante the poet, we will have a glimpse of heaven itself. Dante Alighieri was born, we are not exactly sure what day, but at the end of May or the beginning of June, probably in 1265, to a prominent family in Florence in Italy. He's buried in Ravenna. However, if you are in Italy and looking for Dante, find him in Ravenna. Ravenna is a place you should be visiting anyway, but I digress. Deservedly, Italians call Dante very simply, Il Poeta, the poet. Uh, Dante was probably one of the last people in the world who knew everything. And uh, that's pretty much in evidence in the Divine Comedy. If you read it closely sometime, uh, first reading it through like a canto at a time and then going back through the canto and reading the footnotes that will no doubt be in your edition, you will see the breadth and depth of Dante's learning. He knew just about everything. Dante uh, was eventually, uh, in his life, caught up in the perennial conflicts of the political parties dominant in Italy in his era. Uh, that is, the famous Guelphs, who, uh, to put it in a, in a nutshell, backed the papacy and were mostly merchants, and the Ghibellines, who backed the Roman emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor, and were mostly nobles. This is a sort of a medieval Hatfield and McCoy thing, which originated during the investiture con uh, controversy in the 11th century. But the Guelphs and the Ghibellines uh, strode strove over control of Italian cities. They seesawed back and forth in dominance. and the, So the politics of the day, of Dante's time, were very dangerous. And a person could rise or fall very, very quickly and uh, get shot up in the crossfire. Uh, now these parties themselves uh, were divided in the Florence of Dante's time. The Guelphs, uh, which 
for example, con uh, controlled Florence, were split into two factions, the white Guelphs and the black Guelphs, the whites who were resisting particularly the influence of the infamous Pope Boniface VIII and the blacks, uh, black Guelphs, who were supporting him. Dante got caught in the crossfire. Uh, he had taken place, uh, taken part in a battle in Campaldino in 1289, and then, um, which was between the Guelphs of Florence and the Ghibel Ghibellines of Arezzo. And uh, so he was very much, he was very firmly in the Guelph party. Uh, Dante would eventually join the Apothecaries Guild. Um, remember the Guelphs, you know, were very often, you know, involved in merchant, you know, the merchant guilds and so forth. He uh, served in a delegation then, uh, a Florentine delegation to Rome, to the court of Boniface VIII. And um, eventually, when the Florentine delegates returned to Rome, Dante stayed behind but in the meantime, the Black Guelphs took control in uh, Florence, and in 1301, Dante was fined and exiled in absentia, and his property was seized. Uh, as a matter of fact, it wasn't until June of 2008 that the city of Florence lifted the exile. Not that you know Florentines have a long memory or anything. But from the point of his exile onward, Dante was pretty much always on the move. He was in exile. And um, he wrote under the patronage of various figures and on a huge range of subjects, including language itself and uh, political theory. And he wrote uh, other poetry, but uh, uh, eventually he would begin to write his divine comedy, which he wrote entirely in exile. And I think the Divine Comedy has a rightful claim to be called the greatest piece of literature ever conceived. In the Divine Comedy, and uh, comedy, uh, it's called comedy not, not because it's funny, but because uh, it ends happily. It comes to a good conclusion, and it does deal with you know, ult the ultimate happiness. And so this is why Dante calls his poem a comedy, commedia. The word uh, divine was added in the 16th century in a, in a printing of the whole work. But anyway, in the divine comedy, uh, what we have is a massive allegory in which Dante is presenting a new political theory, among other things, which tries to reconcile the secular and the sacred. That's what Dante is trying to do in this whole thing. He's trying to create a new fusion, shall we say, of the secular and sacred in, in politics and also in poetry, trying to resolve sacred poetry and secular poetry, um, sacred love, and secular love. Uh, you know, it's all tied up with the whole court, courtly poetry of the time. And he's presenting a new theory of poetry and of politics. Uh, it's also the description of a soul's ascent to God, beginning in the first part, in the inferno or hell, uh, where Dante himself, the poet himself, finds himself 
lost in a dark wood on Good Friday of 1300, which was a pilgrimage year. Uh, and this all symbolizing that he he had lost the character and of the comedy, had lost the use of right reason. And so Dante's characters, Dante Quest, uh, through the Divine Comedy, with the help of various guides, including the Roman poet Virgil, as well as much later, the Dante's paradigmatic, uh, his model of holy womanhood, Beatrice, as well as St. Lucy, for example, a great intercessor for him throughout the work. Uh, his quest is to recover the use of reason uh, in the Inferno, so that he may then move upward on his journey toward God. Eventually, Dante comes to glimpse the beatific vision itself in the last canto on Easter Sunday. And so this is a work which uh, blends political theory and poetic theory and all of the sciences known to man at the time, uh, a new, the new philosophy of Thomas Aquinas, uh, influenced by, the, uh, by Aristotle, which had been filtered through the great Arab philosophers and so forth, which is kind of all the new thing at the time. In short, virtually everything that men studied at the time is incorporated in one way or another into the Divine Comedy, and Dante handles it with absolute mastery of his material. Now, this is not a short work. It's 14,000 lines long. And uh, like Gaul, it is divided into three parts. Uh, hell, Purgatory, and Heaven. Or the Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso. Each of these sections is divided into 33 cantos. Three is all over this, this work, by the way. Three, three, three. Everything is three. And uh, uh, the the first section, however, has an additional canto, making 34 cantos, uh, giving us um, 100 cantos in total for the whole work. And the cantos are composed in the scheme called terza rima. Terza rima, which is comprised of tercets, which are sets of three lines. And these tercets have an interlocking rhyme scheme, which would go something like A, B, A, B, C, B, C, D, C, D, E, D, etc. So it all interlocks and ties together. Now, the first part, as I mentioned, is set in hell. Now, Dante slowly recovers the use of reason as he encounters the souls of the damned, and he learns why they are there. And Dante, with his guide, they move downward through the circles of the inferno, down to the very pit of hell, where they have to pass through the pit and then out into the sight of the stars and purgatory on the other side. Uh, the, the whole thing is divided very systematically. The whole inferno, just like purgatorio in heaven, is very sharply uh, divided very systematically, it's articulated, uh, much like actually much like the ornamentation of, of a medieval cathedral. If you think about it, uh, this word "article" or "articulation" is very helpful for understanding the medieval 
mindset and how Dante is thinking and how he is presenting things. For example, you might see um, a depiction of St. Thomas Aquinas teaching in, in the actual act of teaching. And he will be uh, presented with a hand held up while the other, with the other hand, uh, a finger with his index finger, he'll be pointing to um, some joint of a finger on the other hand that's held up. Now, this is significant because a joint in Latin is artus, whence we get our word article and articulation. And you think about it, the summa of theology that uh, Aquinas wrote is divided into articles. And this is how they would teach. They would show, you know, a topic, you know, which might be a finger, and then within that article, uh, topic, then they would look at articles symbolized by joints. And so as they would teach to help them organize their thoughts, they would even use their own hands to show how they were moving through their articles, how their arguments in articles, you see. And this is the same idea that is then imposed also in architecture of the period. So you can find even the ornamentation of medieval uh, churches, great cathedrals, and so forth. It's like, for example, in Orvieto in Italy, you go and you look at the way that the whole facade is divided up. You see, it's it's very much divided up, almost like this, you know, the the articles, the 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 joints of a hand. It helps you keep everything in a very very orderly, uh, very orderly system. Uh, but anyway, I digress here. Dante has to move down through these circles and divisions of circles. And you can tell that he's recovering, slowly but surely, recovering the use of reason throughout the Inferno. Uh, for example, at first, he's fainting all the time. And then later on, he stops fainting. Uh, at first, he is made just absolutely inarticulate. There's that word articulate there. He can't even talk sometimes. And later on, he is uh, very articulate about what he is seeing. These are little clues along the way that the journey is having its effect and that he's recovering the use of right reason. At, at the beginning, he's horrified. Later on, he is able actually to walk in the faces of the damned because you can recognize now through the use of right reason, the justice of their state. Uh, so anyway, Dante and Virgil escape from hell into the sight of the stars. All of these, these major sections, the Inferno, Purgatorio, and Paradiso, all end with coming out into a view of the stars. And uh, in the Purgatory, they must ascend hell's mirror, the mountain of Purgatory, where the souls are being purified on their last stages uh, before entering heaven. And in the Paradiso, um, we have a change of guides. Beatrice is going to guide uh, Dante now. Virgil, of course, is a pagan, uh, not uh, allowed to see heaven, uh, cannot accompany him there. So at a certain point, even in purgatory, he can't go any further. So he has to have other guides along the way. Beatrice now takes over, and she guides him on the way toward on his ascent toward the beatific vision. Now remember that in this day we are dealing with a Ptolemaic and Aristotelian view of the cosmos. And so here we have spheres 
according, uh, divided up according to the cardinal virtues and the theological virtues. And Dante sees this great interlocking um, dance of rings of figures that form a beautiful rose. This is where everything comes together, contemplative and active, sacred and secular, the perfect balance of all of these different elements that he's explored throughout the various cantos before, uh, eventually culminating in a glimpse of the beatific vision, the triune God, the first mover, which is love. Um, Dante refers to that. It's that one of the famous lines in all of the Divine Comedy, the love that moves the sun and other stars. Now, I think Dante comes as close to describing the beatific vision and what heaven is like. He comes closer to than any human has ever accomplished. And so, well, without any further delay, let's just hear some Dante. We're going to take the last canto. Um, at this point, uh, Beatrice, his guide, has has le has left Dante and gone back into the mystical, the great dance. She's taken her place back in the in one one of the petals of the rose again, and Saint Bernard of Clairvaux has taken over as Dante's guide. Um, we've come to the tenth circle of heaven, the Empyrean, and heaven here is shown as a river of light. And St. Bernard explains the petals of the rose that Dante can now see in its entirety, and he names all the saints who are there, and he tells Dante to pray to Mary to help him see the highest good, and Bernard himself prays to Mary that Dante can finally see the beatific vision and see and grasp the mysteries of creation and the Trinity and the Incarnation, not a small task. Now, I'll read the last canto, and you can, and I'm using the translation uh, prepared, a fairly new translation, by Anthony Esselin, who teaches at uh, Providence College. And the editions, are, the editions are very, very good. They are paperbacks and uh, fairly inexpensive. They have the facing Italian, which is very, very helpful. They have some very good notes, um, some at the bottom of the page, some footnotes, but they have end notes as well, and wonderful appendices, which have uh, contemporary texts which help you uh, understand what some of the myriad allusions Dante makes um, throughout um, the Divine Comedy. Ezelin sticks very well uh, to the direct sense of the Italian. He doesn't stray too far from it. And he also helps us try to get something of the rhythm and the rhyme. So he, he gives you as much as you can, I think, uh, a, f a feeling, a sense of what reading, hearing the original Italian is like. So let's hear the very final canto of the last section of the Divine Comedy in the, in the Paradiso. This is canto 33 of the Paradiso. Vergine Madre, figlia del tuo figlio, 
umile e alta più che creatura, termine fisso d'eterno consiglio. Tu sei colei che l'umana natura nobilitasti sì che il suo fattore non disdegnò di farsi sua fattura. Nel ventre tuo si raccese l'amore per lo cui caldo nell'eterna pace così è germinato questo fiore. Qui sei a noi meridiana face di caritate e giuso in tra i mortali sei di speranza fontana vivace. Virgin Mother, daughter of your son, humbler and loftier past creations measure, the fulcrum of the everlasting plan. You are she who ennobled human nature so highly that its maker did not scorn to make himself the creature of his creature. In your womb was the flame of love reborn, in the eternal peace of whose warm ray this flower has sprung and is so richly grown. For us you are the torch of the noon day of charity. Below you are the spring of ever-living hope for men that die. Lady, so great you are, such strength you bring. Who does not run to you and looks for grace, his wish would seek to fly without a wing. Not only does your kindness come to brace our courage when we beg, often your free favor arrives before our prayers race. In you is mercy, in you is piety, in you magnificence, in you the sum of excellence in all things that come to be. This pilgrim who has witnessed coming from the lowest pool of all the universe, the lives of soul and soul in every realm, now bends his knee to you to gain such force by grace that he may lift his eyes the higher unto his final healing and its source. And I, who never burned in such a fire for my own vision, all I can, I pray, and hope my prayers suffice for his desire, that by your prayers you melt the mist away the clouds the intellects of mortal men, in order that the highest bliss display himself to him. Also, I beg you, Queen, who can do what you will, that his affection may remain pure after what he has seen. Let human passions yield to your protection. See, Beatrice, see how many of the blessed now fold their hands to second my intention. The eyes, beloved of God and honored best, fixed on the man who prayed, showed her delight in prayers that rise from a devoted breast, and then they turned to the eternal light, wherein we trust no creature else can send created vision with such perfect sight. And I, who now was drawing near the end of all desires, as it behooved me to the summit let my leaping flames ascend, Bernard smiled, motioned me to turn my view upward, but I had turned it on my own, was doing what he wanted me to do. For as my sight grew pure and whole, alone it plumbed more and more deeply into the rave truth, the utmost light. From this point on, 
Whatever human language can convey must yield to vision, passing the extreme. To such great prowess memory must give way. As one who sees a vision in a dream, after the dream the passion so impressed lingers, though nothing else comes back to him, so am I. For the sight is all but lost, and yet, born from that vision to this day, droplets of sweet distill into my breast. So in the sun the snow dissolves away. So did they lose the Sibyl's prophecy when the wind blew the weightless leaves astray. Summit of light that lift yourself so high above the mind of mortal man, restore some slightest shade of your theophany, and grant then to my tongue sufficient power to leave the palest flicker of your glory to readers of a later day and hour. For should something return to memory and sound but faintly in my verses here, the clearer will they see your victory. Should I have turned my vision anywhere but to the living ray, I'd have gone blind, so piercing was the power I had to bear. Thus was I bolder, this I call to mind, to bear the mighty radiance that bloomed till my might and omnipotence were joined. O oh, overbrimming grace, whence I presumed to gaze upon the everlasting light so fully that my vision was consumed. I saw the scattered elements unite, bound all with love into one book of praise in the deep ocean of the infinite. Substance and, and accident and all their ways as if breathed into one. And understand, my words are a weak glimmer in the haze. The universal being of this band I think I saw. Because when that is said, I feel the bliss within my heart expand. One instant sees more of my memories fade than two millennia fade the bravery that made the sea-god gape at Argo's shade. And so my mind, suspended utterly, held its gaze still, immobile and intent, and ever kindled was my wish to see. Before that light, one's will to turn is spent. One is so changed, it is impossible to shift the glance, for one would not consent because all good, the object of the will, is summed in it, for it alone is best. Beyond defective, there whole, perfect, still. Even for these few memories I've confessed, my words are less than what a baby says who wets his tongue still at his mama's breast. Not that I saw more than a single face as I was gazing into the living glow, for it is ever as it ever was. But in my vision winning valor so that soul appearance as I 
changed by seeing, appeared to change and form itself anew. Within that brilliant and profoundest being of the deep light, three rings appeared to me, three colors, and one measure in their gleaming. As rainbow begets rainbow in the sky, so were the first two and the third a flame that from both rainbows breathes forth equally. Alas, how feeble language is, how lame beside my thought, and for what I was shown to call thought small would be too great a claim. O light that dwell within thyself alone, who alone know thyself, are known, and smile with love upon the knowing and the known. That circle which appeared in my poor style, like a reflected radiance in thee after my eyes had studied it a while, within and in its own hue seemed to be tinted with the figure of a man, and so I gazed on it absorbedly. As a geometer struggles all he can to measure out the circle by the square, but all his cogitation cannot gain the principle he lacks, so did I stare at this strange sight to make the image fit the aureole and see it enter there. But mine were not the feathers for that flight, save that the truth I longed for came to me, smiting my mind like lightning flashing bright. Here ceased the powers of my high fantasy. Already were all my will and all my desires turned as a wheel in equal balance by the love that moves the sun and other stars. Pensando quel principio ondell'indige, tale era io a quella vista nova, veder volea come si convenne l'imago al cerchio e come vi s'indova, ma non eran da ciò le proprie penne, se non che la mia mente fu percossa da un fulgore in che sua voglia venne. All'alta fantasia qui mancò possa, ma già volgeva il mio disio e il velle, siccome rota chi ugualmente mossa l'amor che muove il sole e l'altre stelle. That was the final canto, canto 33, of the Paradiso, the conclusion of Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy. And I think I will just leave it there without additional comments. 
After heaven, it is hard to come up with anything interesting to add. Until next time, please pray for me as I will for you. Thank you.